identify the virus behind a pneumonia outbreak in the central city of Wuhan. At least 59 people are believed to have been sickened by the new virus. New type of coronavirus. The number of affected countries has tripled. The World Health Organization has just declared that this is a pandemic. The National Coronavirus Command Council has decided to enforce a nationwide lockdown. It's Monday night, and about an hour ago, we witnessed our president make an incredible, incredible announcement, one that has dramatic and drastic effects. But we trust, and I do believe, it is the best decision for our nation at this time. 2020 was a year like no other. Economy struggled, security disappeared, and churches closed their doors around the world. But even though we as the church couldn't meet in person, that didn't stop God from meeting us. 2020 was the first time that Life Changes went completely online. We went from five in-person meetings on a Sunday to nobody in the parking lot, nobody in our buildings. The buildings may have been empty, but God's church is still on the move. This year, we've reached further than ever before. We preached the gospel to 46 countries and over 54,000 people across the globe. Even though the world was locked down, people's hearts are still open to the grace and love of Jesus, and we saw over 100 salvations in the first two months alone. More than ever, the church is the hope of the world, and people are being added to our story, raised up, and strengthened in Christ. We love doing life together, and even though we couldn't meet as we normally would, more than 320 people meet in life groups every week. We are also passionate about seeing people walk in freedom and wholeness in Jesus Christ. 289 people joined our recovery groups where people found life and freedom from addiction within community. Not only do we believe that we should meet as a gathering of believers, but we also believe that we are called for mission and to release wide for God's kingdom. We saw a need and during lockdown level 5, we are on the move and pioneered the West Coast COVID Relief Fund. Through faith, we gave more than 550,000 Rand towards food for people in need and collected more than 31 tons of food. Not only did we help those in life changes in our broader community, but we spent almost 600,000 Rand beyond our borders. We were able to help churches and families in need and advance God's kingdom. Thanks to God's provision and our generous Life Changes community, we gave more than 1,100,000 Rand for the advancement of the gospel. 
midst of a global pandemic, we are still a people who are called to reach far, raise up, and to release wide for God's kingdom. We are the church. We are the people of God, the disciples of Jesus. We are the continuation of the book of Acts. We have the same spirit and we are not backing down, never settling down. We are flipping the script. Um, we're doing two things this morning. Uh, we're busy wrapping up the Flip the Script series. So if you came in, um, you would have got a, a bangle with Flip the Script. I don't see them on all their wrists, but I see a few. Um, but really, it's been a series about flipping the script on what this time should look like. I think we've been through a, a rough 12 months when I was listening to Uncle Cyril there talking about that first lockdown. I got goosebumps. You know, I don't know. We all remember watching that, watching that, and we thought three weeks and we're out of it, or two weeks and we, this is going to be all right. You know, I can do this for three weeks. And here we are 15 months later, and we're still trying to, trying to find our feet. Um, but really, it's been about flipping the script on what this time should look like, that it should be different um, to what the rest of the world says it should. That's so we're wrapping that up today. And then secondly, uh, we're extending our Vision Sunday. So an incredible video of what the church has been doing in this last year, and just a, a, a casting a vision again for life changes. And really, our vision, if you don't know it, is to reach far, to raise up, and to release wide. And that's what we're all about. We're about Jesus Christ reaching far, going and spreading the gospel, the good news of Christ, bringing people in, raising up in a community like this, raising up people, life change, and then releasing wide. We don't, we don't come in to stay here to stay where we are, we come here to get spread out and to go and to see God's will and God's kingdom being established in the world around us. So we're doing those two things. I want to be preaching today on release wide. Um, and as we start, I, I want to tell a story um, just as we get going. It's a, it's a true story. So I wonder if you would maybe just open your mind up a little bit. Um, we're going to go back in time a bit and just imagine the, probably the most beautiful valley or um, open field and layout that you could think of. Um, uh, sometimes I drive from here towards George. Um, I, that's kind of what I have in my head, these rolling mountains, these open fields, these farmlands. Just the ground is fertile. When people would plant, thing in, plant things in those valleys, the potatoes would pop out as little soccer balls. I mean, that's kind of what I have in my head, these massive watermelons that the kids can't carry. And just there's this ground where the things are happening. There's a new people that have just moved into this area, some families split between sort of just split between basically who their parents were, and they've just moved in, and life is looking dandy. It's looking great. They're largely a farming people, so just you can imagine farmers, um, for those of us that grew up in a farming town, um, would understand that dynamic in terms of you working the soil long days from sunrise to sunset, you there getting your hands dirty, and there's so much promise. There's all this, you know, we plant this, and we've never seen the crops this high. We've never seen things look this good. But in this valley, with this group of people, there's also, there's trouble. There's trouble in the camp. So there's this army around the corner that aren't happy about this group of people moving in. And they basically, they're on camels, um, and we, which is a, it's really, it's an advantage. And there's hundreds and thousands of these camel people that come in and just destroy the fields. Every time when harvest is about to come, when they're about to get their crops, when you're about to get these incredible grains of wheat and watermelons and apples, these guys come in, these hooligans come in and just destroy the crops completely. They come and take whatever they want. Those people basically, they need to run up into the hills. They need to go and 
find a place to hide, and then they come back and everything's just been scorched. I don't, I don't know if you guys have watched Gladiator, but you can imagine that, you know that scene when he goes back home, where he's been accused of treason, he goes back home, and things are, things are dire. He's, all his crops have been burnt, his house has been burnt, his wife and his kids have been killed, and it's just this, you can't even imagine it. And it, I think that's what it must have been like in that time. They go up, hide in the hills, and then come back down, and they find... The country has been scorched. There's murder. There's loss. And there's food. The provision has been taken away. And with this group of people, it's absolutely dire for them. And it happens once, and it happens again. They try to rebuild their life again in this time. They try to rebuild. They try to plant the crops again. You can imagine these little green sprouts coming out of the scorched land, and they rebuild again. And just before harvest time, this, they, they were referred to as a locust army because they would just come in and just ravage everything in the country. And, and they would do it, it would be done over and over, three years, four years. Poverty sticks in. They're, the reserves that they had from the years before get eaten up. And they're just basically, people are dying, people are hungry, people are getting killed. And over and over, the sixth time, the seventh time, and the people are getting more and more desperate. And that group of people too, there's no government, there's no... Minister of Defense, there's no police commissioner who could come in and lay the law down. They, everybody did what they saw fit in their own eyes. So there was no, there was no um, government to speak to or just rule of law in the land. And it just happened over and over again. So the only thing these people could do was to pray. That's, that's all that they could do. And they prayed. They prayed and they prayed. True story, this. Um, and they cried out to the Lord. And as the Lord does in those times, He, he hears their prayers. And he answers their prayers. And what just if we kind of, we can think of that enormous valley, wide valley, and you kind of zoom in to this one household. It's, a, it's an obscure little place. Um, there's a, a person there, his, his nickname in town was, was Smasher. And this is a true story. His, his name means Smasher. Um, and he was, a, he was a funny guy. He wasn't from the best family in town. You get those, those um, aspiring Couples and families. You know when you look at them, a bit like Gabe and Fee, where you, you think, Yo, I want to be, be like that, you know. If my family can just be sorted like that, we're good. And then you get the sort of less inspiring or less aspirational families, we can call it that. And he was from one of those where it's a little bit rough around the edges. The, the parents are doing their own thing. The, the brother's on his, he's got a little thing on the side. You know, there's trouble in the camp. And this guy was, he was part of that family, our friend Smasher. And when the angel of the Lord comes to meet with him, what he's doing, he's busy, he's busy working wheat in a wine press. So just, just to understand what that is, is basically in those days you would work the wheat from the crops. So you would work it, you would, you would basically mill it over, and then the wheat would fall out and the chaff or the sort of the... the invaluable stuff would blow away, but they would normally do that in the wide open field, um, and animals would normally do it. The people wouldn't even do it. Now this guy, Smasher, he's doing it in a wine press, which is basically a hut, it's a hole. So he's in his hole, busy, busy working the wheat, and for no, it's a completely inefficient task, I mean you're not going to get a lot from that, and why he was doing it is because he was scared. He was just scared. He was scared to be seen out in the open, to be seen by these, this locust army, and he was just scared. He was just scared in his hole, busy doing his thing with his wheat there. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and, comes to him and says, you're the man. He says, you're the man for the moment. You're the man that needs to liberate the people. 
And his response is, you've got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I'm, I'm from the weakest family. I'm, I'm nobody. I'm here. I'm, look at me. Look where I am. I'm in a hole with grain, just busy doing my thing. And, and the word of the Lord comes and says, you're it. You're it. And he basically, he ums and ahs and asks for signs. He's got his, he's got his bride meat there. He puts it outside. And the, he, basically, it's a true story. He asks, he asks the angel of the Lord, will you cook this for me without a fire? And it's exactly what happens. The angel of the Lord like, strikes, strikes it down, gets his, his meat cooked. And that kind of starts to turn things in his head to think, all right, maybe we've got a shot here. Maybe, maybe we can do something. Maybe there's an opportunity. Maybe the Lord's going to do that. Basically, his first request, his first request is to go and pull down this tower, this sort of false worship tower in the middle of the town. He goes at night because he's scared. He's scared of what people might say about him, scared of how things would go about. He goes and he pulls this tower down, and suddenly word starts to spread around town about our friend Smasher, that there's something going on here. There may be there's something. We've got this camel army of 100 and they estimate 130, 140,000 soldiers that have been ravaging the land. But maybe God's doing something. And in that, he goes and he does a big recruit. So he, puts, he prints these boards that says, Smasher needs you. You know, those, you know those signs to say, we need to go to army. We need to go out. We need to go and win a battle. And he basically does a, he has a big, like those bands going forward. And he calls a big meeting. So you can imagine Greenpoint Stadium. Um, he, he fills it up half full. So, I mean, I think he would probably surprise himself to say about 30,000 people pitched up. To say, look, we we in for this. We if you're going, we're going with you. Um, as I said, the army was estimated about 140, 150,000 people. So there's still one to four odds, one soldier for four of those camel guys. Um, but kind of you can imagine, there's a bit of a buzz in the air, a bit of excitement, and then the the sort of the crux of it is that the angel of the Lord God speaks to him again and says. There's too many people. And he, I can imagine the response. What do you mean too many? What are, you, are you kidding me? It's too many. It's one to four. One of us, four of them. For every little skirmish, you've got to knock out three other guys. Then it's one on one. So, I mean, there's, you can imagine the fear in his heart. So he basically has this narrative, this discussion with the angel. Tells the guys, whoever's scared can leave. I mean, and you can imagine, the guys are like, yeah, all right, I'm out. Um, so they all leave. There's still 10,000 people left over. And again, the Lord says, it's too many. There's too many people here. Well, what if you say that this victory was due to your doing? There's too many people. And Smasher, you can imagine, he just doesn't want to hear from the Lord again. You know, every time he hears, there's things that seem to go wrong. There's, there's a bigger ask on his life, and he gets he, he's obedient. So they do a little drink test. They basically go down to the river, and whoever laps the water up with their mouth, they get to stay. There's 300 people that get left behind. The odds went from 1 to 4 to 1 to 450. For every one soldier with Smasher, there's 450 other guys. I mean, the odds are now just impossible. It's just not practical. You just can't, you just can't win the battle on those odds. But yet he believes. He, there's these confirmations that come in the story. On the night of the battle, you can just imagine sort of those evenings before, the, before all hell's about to break loose. You, can, you know what it's like. We've watched enough war movies, I think. Those guys sitting in the trenches, kind of the birds are chirping. There's like this airy silence. Everyone's a bit nervous, doesn't know what to do. Like, should, what should we, we just need to wait because we need to wait until we go. He goes down into the camp, and he has two men talking about a dream that they had the night before. 
a weird, a weird dream, a weird dream. The one guy basically says, I saw a giant loaf of bread rolling down the hill and smashing our, smashing our enemy. That was the dream. I saw a giant loaf of bread, and this creates faith, stirs faith. And there's this excitement in the air. There's 300 of us, and yet there's 130, 140,000 of these guys. But maybe, maybe the Lord's going to give us victory here. And just the story goes, they don't go with swords. They go with the most obscure, um, obscure instruments for, for war. They go with a torch, a jar, and a trumpet. And they trust the Lord for victory. I'm talking about the story of Gideon, and some of us would know it who've been in church. But they go into battle, and they go and they win this battle. They go and break the pots, shine their lights, blow their trumpets, and they surround the army. And these guys go bonkers, basically, these other guys. They just start killing each other. They go into a frenzy. 120,000 people died that night. Can you just... To try and get a, I don't know if it's impossible to visualize that, what 120,000 dead people look like in a valley. I, I can't even imagine that. But they just go crazy. They start stabbing each other. They just lose their, they lose their cool completely. A few of them flee. And then Gideon, which his name means smasher, goes out after them. And they, and they capture these guys and, and bring it back. And it's just, to me, it's a remarkable story of God using the unexpected hero. The person who you wouldn't think is... You wouldn't think he's got it. He's basically hiding in his hut, in his hole, and he's scared. He doesn't want to be seen. He's busy working his wheat there. He probably didn't have a good reputation around town. It seems like he's got a bit of a, an anger problem. There's a, there's, there's a lot going on there where he's not, he's, not a, he's not the guy. You know, If you're looking for the guy, he's not the guy. And yet the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you're it. And guides him through the process towards victory. The Lord uses the most unexpected heroes to do great things. And I think just relating that to us and where we are now is that each of us have a story to play. Each of us have a victory we need to go and exercise, to go and be a part of. And I think there there's a, can be a tendency or um, a way that we can find excuses not to do that. And I just want to touch on a few of those together. Um, before I get the Ephesians 2 verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ to do God's works, which God prepared in advance to us to do. Each of us have a work prepared in advance to us to do. So some of the excuses, I can just quickly pop those up on the screen. Unqualified. Maybe you feel like you're from the wrong family. I don't know, you're born into the wrong neighborhood, um, that you just feel unqualified. Maybe you feel unqualified because of past sin, because of uh, maybe a relationship went bad. Or there's, there's many reasons why we would unqualify ourselves. And when the angel of the Lord comes to Gideon, his first response is, I'm the weakest clan and I'm the least in my family. His family worshipped Baal. His family worshipped the foreign idol of the time. He was also, he, uh, Gideon... As we go on and read more in the story, he was a troubled soul. Um, I mean, he had the fear of what people said. He had a hot temper. He basically, after the victory, he basically loses the plot in, in many senses. He goes back and he kills some of his own men in a hot rage. Um, he was an idolater. So he, again, sets up false idols. There's, there's a lot. If you look at Gideon the man, Gideon the person, you can find faults left, right, and center. Yet God uses him 
for something remarkable. Let's not disqualify ourselves because we haven't got it together. The requirement on God using us isn't being perfect. Just an open hand to say, God, will you use me? Maybe unbelief. Maybe we just maybe we've got some trust issues. <laughs> yeah. We just we I don't know, we've had trust broken, maybe by a family member, maybe in a relationship. We don't trust what people say anymore. And Gideon too, he pushes back a lot in scripture. They speak about there's four clear signs that he asked. The the bride meat out on the rock, um, there's this fleece that he kind of has this um, has this discussion with the angel of the Lord and asking for confirmation, and then two that, that dream. But he's got trust issues. He does. But yet, when the time came for it, he heard the word of the Lord, and he decided to do it. And we need to, we need to people that trust. Probably one, of, probably one of my favorite scriptures, Mark 9, verse 24. The, Jesus comes to this, um, there's a sick child. As a, as a parent, when your kids are sick, man, it doesn't, it's not lacquer. You, you would do anything to help them, um, anything to do it. And, and basically, he says, to, he says to the dad, what's wrong? He tries to get a bit of information. And the dad says to him, if you can heal him, will you heal him? And then Jesus replies to say, if I can, like, if I can, all things are possible for him who believes. And this is, the, this is the dad's response, which I absolutely love. It said, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, be, I do believe, help my unbelief. Maybe that should be our prayer. Not, not let's not have questions. Let's not, I know we have a lack of faith. I, I can relate to that too. But what if our prayer to the Lord is, I believe, help my unbelief. And I think that to me, I think that, that speaks to the Father and to Christ, that, that there, is a, there is a drawing in to say we are all unsure. We are all not sure what our plan is, how to do it, how to get over our circumstances. But Jesus, we believe, would you help our unbelief? Maybe you feel under-resourced. Yeah, I mean, it's real, and particularly real in this time. Maybe you feel like, I haven't got time, I've just... I'm just trying to keep my things together. I'm trying to keep what I'm doing going. I'm trying to keep my family alive. It's reality for Amy and I. We're just trying to keep our kids fed and keep them going. So it takes a lot. Um, maybe you feel like you haven't got bucks. You haven't got money. There's no margin in your life. You're just, you're just trying to make those minimum payments on your credit card every month. You're not even settling it. You're just trying to, just trying to keep your head above the water. And that's a reality. And it's real. Yet, it's not a reason not to be called. Yeah. And just Gideon, odds were 101 to 450 against him, and yet he went forward, obedient to the Lord, and the Lord did something amazing. We need to get over ourselves and get going with what God has called us to. And again, our stories look different for every single person here. Our, my stories are going to look different to Josh's story, thank goodness. I couldn't jump around in a chicken suit on a Friday night. Um, but we, it, looks, it looks different. And we need to be obedient to what God has called us to. Um, Judges 6 verse 14. This is sort of the, uh, kind of the, the scripture that opens things up um, in the story. It says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian hand, Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have. What, that's it, right? It's going in the strength that we have. Not going in what we don't have, going to an area we don't know. It's going, the Lord works in our current circumstance. He works in our current environment, our current sphere of influence, where you are at the moment, and it's about going in the strength that you have. 
God doesn't call armies, He calls individuals. Sometimes we can feel like we want, we want to have, we, we just need a crowd, you know. If we just, had, if we just had the army behind us, we'd be able to go for the Lord. And the reality is that God calls, calls the one. He calls the one. He called Gabe and Fee to plant here. He calls, he calls the individual to plant. And then, and then we come. And that's, that's true for everyone's life. He's calling you to plant in your community, in your business, in your relationship. And what does that look like? And I think that's the challenge tonight. Is Tonight. We're not quite there yet. It's a challenge today. Is to, is to hear what the Lord is doing, what He's asking of you, and to go and do that. Not to do more, not to do less. The Lord requires and asks for obedience. Those who love me, obey me. John 14. That's it. I tell you, that's it. That's the gospel story. Believing in Jesus and obeying what he says. I've got my friend here, Mr. Peter Ngaza. Peter, give us a wave there. Eh? Give us a, yeah. Peter, he's my, he's my friend, my brother from Burundi. Um, and I just wanted to tell you a bit of his story today because I think we can so often get caught up in why we can't do things. And Peter, to me, is an example of somebody that didn't let the excuses get him down. So he's from Burundi. He's been in the country a number of years. He came to Life Changes, got saved here, got saved with us, and got stuck into community. He came to Life Group. He's a, he drives Ubers. He's a, a remarkable man. He's become my friend. He's become my brother. And I, I, Peter, I love you, man. I really, I really do. You've, you've inspired me. You've pushed me. You've You've taken away my excuses, man, and I, I really I thank you for that. And Peter, his wife, Violet, who's sitting next to him now, they hadn't seen each other for seven years. He, they were engaged, hadn't seen each other for seven years. She was back in Burundi. Peter was doing whatever he could to get her back, to get her to, get her to come down to South Africa. Just the, it's complicated. For those of you who know foreign nationals, it's complicated. There's visas and there's issues and there's things to, to overcome. Seven years, Peter tried. Eventually got Violet down from Burundi. And in that process, knew that they were going to get married. But just such a simple thing to honor her. Just decided they were, they were here together probably for four or five weeks before they got married. They just decided, Peter decided, to live separately in that time. A simple, a simple thing. And for somebody... Peter hasn't got an extra bedroom in his house, and you, I know you wouldn't mind me saying that, but it came at a cost. But just a simple obedience to say, man, I know the Lord's doing something in my life, and maybe I need to be obedient in this. And Peter, over this last year, he's been, he's been I know Peter, I've asked him if I can share the story with you, but he's been hijacked, he's been stabbed several times, he's been affected by crime in a way that I don't understand. I live, in my, I live in a complex where I've got a security guard that we get upset with if there's an incident. Peter's, Peter's living the real life in our country. There's been many excuses. He's been treated badly by authorities. He's, um, there was a, he got stopped by an official, and he didn't have the right paper. So he gave the official an affidavit, which he thought was the right paper for him, and the official tore it up in his face. This this document that takes months and years for Peter to get, gets the guy tears it up and gives back to this is, isn't what I needed. Been treated badly by officials as a foreign national. He's had many, many excuses to tap out. I would have tapped out if I was affected in the way Peter had been affected. I would have tapped, I would have been, I would have been back home at my parents' house. Just need to just cool off a bit here, I need to regroup. And yet Peter carries on. He's here every Sunday, he's giving 
of his time, giving of his energy. It's not, it's not convenient, and Peter sticks it out. And we're seeing, in all honesty, bringing it back to, to releasing wide, we're seeing it, it, it's coming around. Because of Peter's obedience in the simple things, there's, there's something happening. There's something happening with, with the guys from Burundi, Ori. There's, there's people coming. There's an excitement. There's, there's a grand swell. We can feel it. Gabe yeah, and I were chatting. You can feel there's something in the air. And I honestly think it's, it's through simple obedience. Peter's just done what was asked of him in the next steps. And the Lord is answering those prayers. So I think that's the challenge today. Would we put aside our excuses? Would we put aside the, the reasons for not doing it? And maybe just say, Lord, I want to follow you. Whatever the cost is, there is going to be a cost. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. There will be a cost. It's going to cost you something.